Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. It's time for another Straight Out of Cobham. This is the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. On this episode, Anfield Heroics, Reese's Red, Shades of Grey, Christensen's contract, Champions League draw confirmed, and Kurt zooms across London, but Sevilla's crown jewels stay in Spain for now. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight Out of Cobham. Hello listener, hope you're well. You can stop cursing Anthony Taylor now, it's the start of a new week. Uh, I'm Matt Davis-Adams, joined by the returning Simon Johnson. Hi Simon. Hello. Dominic Fifield's also with us. Hi Dom. Good morning Matt. Uh, let's get to Liverpool then. Chelsea's turn to threaten from the corner quadrant. Big Rom's in there. Have that with the Tim. flick, it's yes. in! Yes. Penalty to Liverpool, and it's a red card for Rhys James. It's a straight red card for the Chelsea defender. Bravo, Chelsea. And you can see where the clenched fists are, folks. That is some achievement. Ten men for 45 minutes. No doubt who is and who should be happier with the shared points here. We defended uh, with a lot of resilience, a lot of quality, always active lot of courage and I absolutely loved it and I, I told the team that this is uh, fantastic and they should uh, be proud of what they did. Liverpool won, Chelsea won at Anfield this past Saturday. The Blues ahead through Kai Havertz before Mo Salah equalised from the penalty spot after Rhys James handball. Uh, don't take my word for it though. Here's Simon's report from Anfield. And the final whistle just gone at Anfield is 1-1. Chelsea players seem very happy with their day's work. In my word, they had to work for that point. Chelsea fans are in the uh, away end in very good voice, and understandably so, because at half-time, being down at 10 men with the Reese James red card and the penalty, it looked very much like a grim second half awaited, but Chelsea displayed the characteristics that won them the Champions League. Defensive rearguard action, in control for most part. Liverpool threatened a few times, many made some good saves, but 
I think a real shout out for Andreas Christensen, as I wrote in the week, he's about to sign a new contract, he showed just why Chelsea are going to reward him. Antonio Rudiger, another one uh, that is in contract talks, and Chelsea need to get him over the line too. But these two teams certainly aren't friends. I look forward to the rematch later on in the season. But Chelsea uh, will leave Anfield. Point better off than perhaps they would have thought at half-time. All the sort of view of Anthony Taylor, as per usual in a Chelsea fixture. When will this referee uh, actually have a quiet game as far as Chelsea is concerned? Anyway, good result for Chelsea as they applaud the away fans. And on to the next game. Uh, let's start our look back with the red card. Uh, controversially, Dom, I-, I think it definitely was one. Do you agree? Yes. Good. Okay, we'll be back again next week. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I, I, I completely I have a, a certain amount of sympathy over the, the speed at which the decision was made by Anthony Taylor when he went over to the VAR monitor. It did appear to be... Um, okay, okay, it was the incident was being played out as he approached the monitor, but it appeared he when he actually got there, all he saw was a static image of the ball hitting Reese James's arm. But I can only assume that in his ear, he's either seen it as he's, he's as he's approached, or or in his ear that the VAR is telling him, look, it's 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 brazen. He's he's, he's moved his arm. He scooped it basically off after the ball was bounced off his thigh, and it was that second. It was a scooping motion that has cost Reese James the, the red card. It's the rule is rubbish. The rule is ridiculous. It's. I thought we were trying to get rid of the double jeopardy thing. You know, we we do with with professional fouls, but we we don't with handballs on the goal line. So I have. Again, sympathy with Reese James in terms of the rule, but I, I think it was applied correctly as much as as much as everybody would like to try and undermine Anthony Taylor and 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 the frustration given this sort of track record of of incidents against Chelsea in in uh, in recent times. But I, I do think he got that one right, unfortunately. Simon, the thing about looking at the monitor, I feel like that is basically there to cover for the on-field referee because every time a referee goes to the monitor, they overturn their decision. So is it basically the VAR in charge saying either you've missed this or you've got it wrong, you're going to have to overturn it, but just go and have a look at the monitor just so we kind of tick that box because it was so brief that that Taylor was over there. Yeah, it, it it seems to me that they still haven't nailed down there's, there doesn't seem to be a consistent sort of basis. Some, you know, how many times have we actually seen a referee even go to a monitor? And it did sort of feel like in this instance that it was like, oh, this is a penalty, Anthony. Just go quickly, have a look at the monitor. But basically, it's a penalty because the, the speed in which he, in which he sort of looked at it, there wasn't like loads of angles that he just, like as Dom said, they just sort of saw this, this stilled replay. Um, I just. I just find it all very inconsistent, still very inconsistent. But was the decision right, Si? I I think I think it probably was. It was it was very un, unfortunate. It it wasn't it because it was the the confusion of course is that the ball deflected off his thigh onto his arm. But when when Twitter Twitterati were going mental, um, because it was Anthony Taylor, 
I was, and, and including on my Q&A, I mean, my Q&A was just, there wasn't really any questions. It was, <laughs> it was just full of lots of charming expressions about Anthony Taylor. But I, I did sort of like dip my toe in the water with one reply and just said, as Don mentioned, this, this, it was that arm motion. I don't know why I'm doing the arm motion on an audio. <laughs> <laughs> but listeners, I'm doing an arm motion. And that, that's what, it wasn't the first instance of, of I'm rambling yeah. here. You can tell I've been off for a few weeks. It wasn't the first instance of a handball that that got me. It was it was the second. It was that split second afterwards when his arm came through, and that's why I thought if he goes to the monitor, if he goes to VAR, then he's in trouble. Um, my biggest disappointment was what it did to the game actually, because the first half was was fantastic, sort of real end to end stuff. And you knew, obviously, and understandably, the second half would then become defensively attack. Um, Chelsea did it brilliantly, but it, it just took away from the occasion a little bit because who knows what that second half would have brought with eleven v eleven. Agreed on that, but I do, I do think that we should. Reese James is is very unfortunate, very unfortunate because all that's happened in a split second from point blank range. The the Chelsea personnel that are culpable in this are uh, Marcus Alonso and potentially mm. Edouard Mendy at the back post. Why they jump together and why Alonso nods it out of Mendy's hands is baffling. And then Kai Havertz, unfortunately, just just goes to sleep. And and Mane is is up and beyond him and, and prodding that shot, which rebounds up off Reese James's thigh onto his arm. And seconds later, or split seconds later, so... I think I think when they look back on it, Reese James is is the full guy. He's the unfortunate one, but actually others have been culpable in in getting him sent off. True. Is is there any chance that Chelsea will appeal it, Simon? Did did Thomas Tuchel mention anything about that post match? And also, do you think that there there might be a fine coming for the way that the the players surrounded the referee in the aftermath of it? Uh, there was no mention of of an appeal. I think I think the way Tuchel talked about it. He kind of sort of intimated he was obviously disappointed by the decision, but there was also he seemed to give some kind of uh, leeway that he kind of understood why it was given. He was kind of hedging his bets a bit. I certainly haven't heard anything about appeal, but like I said, he wasn't asked about it. Um, as for Chelsea players' reaction, yeah, possibly. I mean, both said I, I haven't asked the FAI this either, Matt. So, <laughs> um, but there there were quite a few sort of moments between the two sets of players, wasn't there? It was um it, it took me back to Chelsea Liverpool of old. It, it really was kind of that needle, that rivalry between the two sets sets of players. And the Anfield crowd was particularly loud on Saturday. Maybe it felt louder because there hasn't been a crowd there for this fixture for, for a couple of games, but they were they were really up for it. It felt like a title a title game even though we're only three games in. And yeah, Chelsea stood up to the challenge. I thought I thought in terms of their results so far this season, it was their best result by some distance because of all the circumstances. So Simon was at Anfield. Dom, you wrote a piece with Danny Taylor for The Athletic looking at the key points of the game. How did Chelsea readjust tactically? And I mean, the, the one good thing about the, the red card was that it came right at the end of the first half. So it gave them a full 15 minutes to plan what they were going to do next. He didn't have a, a 10, 15 minute assault from, from Liverpool on, on 10 man Chelsea as they were regrouping. Yeah. I guess that's, that's a test of, 
of a manager's ability to um, to remain calm when when he feels as if everything's going against him because emotions were running so high. I mean, the protests continued down the tunnel. He had spent an awful lot of time shouting at the uh, fourth official, saying it's too much, it's too much, and and that 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 presumably is a referral back to the sort of double jeopardy issue around James's dismissal. Um, but but yeah, look, at least they've got. The biggest, well, not the biggest, because obviously going down to 10 men's a nightmare, but actually losing N'Golo Kante at, at halftime as well was a huge, huge problem for Chelsea, given that, you know, if, if you wanted anybody on the pitch when you're about to embark upon 45 minutes with 10 men against a fellow contender, you'd probably want Conte on there. So he's he retired as well. At, at least they had experience and know-how to bring on in, in Kovacic and, and Thiago Silva, um, although... Thiago would have been rusty. I thought he did pretty well. Other than there were, I think there were one or two initial issues that he had, but he got into the into the flow of the game and 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 he, and was rugged in everything he did. And when you've got Nasspiliqueta who can, he has been playing right wing back in some recent games as well. Uh, who can who can flit in there? Uh, then at least at least you can keep your basic defensive shape in order. And the, the second half performance didn't actually surprise me. I thought we know Chelsea can be brilliant defensively under under Thomas Tuchel uh, and they have that resolve. So the, the, the fact that they, they were able to nullify Liverpool and, and restrict them really to long-range efforts, pretty much one header from Yotta aside, I think, was testament to their sort of their experience, their know-how, their, their sheer nous on, on that side. I think when you look back at that game, I don't think there were no surprises to Chelsea's resilient second half. As I say, we can expect that. What what was it hugely encouraging? I think from the entire performance was the chances they created in the first half after going ahead, where Lukaku was acting as a sort of deeper pivot almost and allowing these runners Havertz and Mount to to, to get off him and 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 sprint into enemy territory. And they really should have doubled their lead. They should have trebled their lead really before half time. It should have been out of sight, in which case Liverpool wouldn't have come back even against ten men. And it's just something that Chelsea are going to have to learn. They they have to they have to appreciate that their midfielders have to appreciate they now have a direct option, which they didn't always take up. There was there were times when Lukaku was pleading with them to play the ball over the top so he could run into space, and they didn't they didn't play that option as much as they might have done. But those those runners also, as we mentioned, I think last week after the Arsenal game, they're going to relish playing with him, because he will create chances and space for them to exploit, and and they did that brilliantly. And it's just it was just their finishing that was slightly awry, and maybe the the decision on the final ball a couple of times where I think Havertz might have play, been played in or Lukaku might have been played in rather than rather than Mount etc. But that that will come, and when you put those together, the defensive surety. And the fact they've got this potent attacking threat now, then that's why Chelsea are contenders this season. Yeah, I think they proved that undisputedly on on Saturday. If we spin back to Kante, Simon, he, he was the focus of your your post match piece. Slight concerns that we're getting back to, to that problem that he had in the season under Frank Lampard, where he could just never get himself fit. But also, is this possibly? quite well timed in that you can just say well don't go on international break and, and rest it for a couple of weeks and we'll see where we are then yeah yeah I think I think um yeah if, if he's going to get an injury not not before half time at Anfield <laughs> that that timing wasn't good um 
but yeah, before the international break, I mean, I asked Tuchel about it, but he he was he was all confused. I was going, oh, that's the second time he's been injured in a month. He went two injuries, two injuries. I was like, yeah, and then he explained why he had a, an injury earlier in the month. It was a bit, a bit odd, so I didn't get round to sort of getting to ask him the awkward thing about press conferences on Zoom. We never got round to the well, how serious is it? Because uh, then I suddenly got muted, which um, perhaps, <laughs> is a blessing. Perhaps is a good idea <laughs> in general. Um, I think my wife would like that option. Anyway, um, but, uh, but yeah, getting back to the point, uh, something I struggle to do. Um, yeah, Conte, it is a concern because forty-four starts in two seasons is now forty-five with with um, the game at Liverpool. It's not enough. And it's a sign of his, uh, because he's that good, Is it's not enough. Um, but it's a sign of his fragility since that Europa League final. And it is a worry, not just Conte as well. Jorginho, when he went down, and this is kind of the, the argument I was making the piece, he, he got up and was limping. He was sort of going, oh, you know, could we be losing Jorginho? And suddenly you're sort of really seeing this fragility of this position. I mean, we've been talking about it already uh, during the during the window because of Chelsea's interest in certain players like Declan Rice or whatever. But it is a worry because they've got three players now with Billy Gilmore on loan at Norwich. They've they've got three players for for a two man position. So you're only one injury away from suddenly exhausting two people. It's going to be a very intense season. And if there is a serious injury or Conte keeps picking up little niggles, it does leave a question mark over how strong this area of the pitches for Chelsea. I mean, Chalaba came on in the final few minutes for Jorginho and, and, and looked, you know, completely cool, calm, measured, like the occasion wasn't too much for him. And, and he's clearly a player of, of ability. But Tuchel himself has gone on record to say he sees him more as a centre-back and and doesn't really want to be messing around too much with, with putting him in different position. He, he actually said, oh, it's all very well playing on loan in midfield, at lesser clubs, but this is the Premier League, much higher level. You've got less time on the ball, etc. So I am a little bit concerned that if, if not just Conte, I'm talking Jorginho Kovacic as well. If one of them gets a, a notable injury, even if it's six weeks, you know that there's an awful lot of games that can be played in those six weeks, and that's a huge burden for the other two to to, to bear. Of course, there's been chat about Saul Niguez, Atletico Madrid. I do sort of think that Chelsea could do with getting a body over the line before the window shuts. Uh, time for our weekly Ben Chilwell question. Another Ben, Ben Moxham is this week's poser. He asks, do we officially open Chilwell gate? This game was perfect for him, yet Alonso preferred a game. Well, Thomas Tuchel's kind of answered that one for us. He said post-match, Chile needed his time in training to adapt to the intensity. He's now ready, but it wasn't the time to push him in the cold water. Cold water, chilly, <laughs> lovely <laughs> stuff. Uh, something else to to come out. It's sort of in the aftermath of the game, Simon. A new contract for Andreas Christensen might be in the works, and and he he proved how worthy of that he is in this game. Yeah, I thought he's phenomenal. Just, I I mean, I've always thought that Christensen. I've been one of the sort of ones on the pod that's sort of been sticking up for him, even although admittedly he's had his tough tough games. Um. But I always sort of thought back to when he first broke through into the team and you could see he had quality. But I think confidence did took a dip. Um, but he's playing for a manager that really, really rates him and speaks openly with him. And I think that makes has made a big, significant difference. Also, there was the timing, if you remember, Silver 
picked up an injury quite early on in Tuchel's reign, and that that gave Christensen a run of games. But but yes, Chelsea have been they they started talks a few months ago, and now it's it's very close to to being completed. There's a few sort of minor details to be ironed out, but yeah, a four year deal with an option for another twelve months. It just sounds to me like it's a matter of when these little issues are, are sort of ironed out. Christensen wants to stay. Tuchel, in his post-match press conference, was asked about Christensen, repeated how much Christensen loves Chelsea and, and so on and so forth. So I, I can't see anything going wrong. And that, that would be a significant boost, I think, because when you've got Silva, Rudiger, Azpilicueta, with only one year left um, as well, I think just getting one over the line and, and one of your sort of best sort of younger ones of that contingent, I, th- I think that is significant for, for Chelsea to get that deal done. Yeah, speaking of Azpilicueta, congratulations to him on his 300th Premier League appearance, came on his 32nd birthday and the, the cake that they gave him on the coach home looked very nice too. Uh, now, before we talk Champions League, Kurt Zuma's departure was confirmed on Saturday. He's gone to West Ham for the best part of £30 million. Uh, Dom, this strikes me as, as one of those rare instances of, uh, of a good deal for all parties. Yeah, I think so. I think he'll play more at West Ham. He'll, having watched West Ham at the weekend, there is an obvious slot for him to, to fill in their in their back line, and so he'll play regularly, which will enhance his prospects of of getting into the French squad, etc., and kick his career along. He did brilliantly when called upon on the occasions he was called upon at Chelsea. On, on numerous occasions, he he did well, but that's a good fee. For a player that wasn't going to be a key part of the of the team this season under Tuchel, um, and uh, yeah, I think it, obviously it was a it was a lengthy negotiation. He's got a very good deal out of it, by the sound of things, from West Ham. I think he's become the the highest earning player or highest earning defender, certainly. And I'm sure he'll his his career will kick on, and uh, you know I think he'll he'll go with some fond memories from his time at Chelsea um, over the years since he signed from Santa Chia. Uh, meanwhile, according to David Onstein's Monday column in The Athletic, the deal for Jules Koundé to come to Chelsea from Sevilla is off after the Spanish club bumped up the price. Simon, is this just a bit of last-minute posturing? There's talk in, in the piece that, that Chelsea might revisit it in, in January, potentially. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it sounds like it's not just posturing. It, it, it sounds like Chelsea aren't particularly happy with the goalposts being moved. They thought that a, a, a fee had been agreed only for Sevilla to, to suddenly up it by 15 million euros. With this transfer window, you feel like you, you, can, you can't rule anything out because <laughs> it's such a bonkers window. But the, the information, particularly that David got, sort of really did intimate that the, this, this is not going to happen, which, which is significant because you've just let Kurt Zuma go and everyone assumed oh well Kurt Zuma going that meant that Kunde's coming in now that the deal's going to happen perhaps the fact that Zuma's sort of moved to West Ham has dragged on so long so late into the window has had an impact Sevilla are worried about the options to replace him and have rejected some of the the players that have been proposed to them and I suppose that's within their right, you know, it's it's their player. Kunde, by by all accounts, is not very happy. Um, he can he can understand why. He's basically all some have been expecting this move to go through. 
only for it to 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 collapse it seems in the in at the eleventh hour but given that Chelsea have effectively had Kunde sort of wrapped up in terms of his desire to move to Chelsea. You wouldn't be surprised if this is revisited at another point. It's just whether Chelsea and Sevilla can perhaps sort of kiss and make up a little bit. And uh, and who knows, it might happen before Tuesday night, but I, by, by from, from what we're hearing, it's very unlikely. But this this could be great news for, for Chalaba, of course, because with, with Kunde's arrival, you did, did suddenly sort of think, well, how many games is he going to play? And perhaps that's one of the reasons why he's been kept around rather than loaned out is is with the possibility of of Kunde not not going through. Simon, the other transfer thing I wanted to ask you about was Callum Hudson Odoi. Some reports linking him with a loan move to Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, there there, there is there is interest from Dortmund. You can understand why they you know, it makes sense. Um, they've lost Jaden Sancho and Hudson Odoi. You know, is very sort of Jaden Sancho esque. And he could understand why Hudson Odoi, who a few weeks ago couldn't have been told in more uncertain terms that he was going nowhere, but you can understand why after a couple of weeks of this season that that perhaps the, his camp and, and Callum have of sort of thinking well perhaps it's actually best to, to consider these kind of things because he's not played a single minute since the Super Cup final, um, and you do wonder when he will get a game. From Chelsea's point of view, do they do they risk letting him go though? Because as Tuchel said after after the match, that uh, sorry on the on the eve of the match in the pre match press conference, when he was asked about Hudson Doy's future, he he didn't really want to let him go because there's so many games this season and can't afford to for this squad to get much smaller. But Dortmund, the question is though, can they afford? One, can they afford to sign him? No, because because Chelsea's asking price will be ridiculous. So then you're coming down to a loan, and it's still that's still quite a significant financial dip outlay for them if sort of Hudson Doy's wages are, are taken into account. So I'm not ruling it out, but it, it's not going to be a straightforward one. Uh, more on that on Thursday's show when the transfer window will have closed. Uh, listen, you're probably aware that Chelsea are the champions of Europe or they begin their defence of the crown next month. Next today, we'll take a look at who the Blues have been paired with after Thursday's group stage draw. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So we now know that Chelsea will be in Group H of the Champions League this season alongside Zenit, St. Petersburg, Malmo and Juventus. Uh, My hot take, Dom, could have been worse. Yeah, you'd you'd fancy Chelsea and Juventus to progress fairly comfortably from the section. Um, There was an irony that that 
the Juventus are in there given the last time Chelsea defended a European Cup they they were also in the group and that I think anyone who was there will remember that particularly torrid evening in in Turin at the new Juventus stadium where Chelsea were utterly utterly overwhelmed and Roberto Di Matteo was effectively informed that he was about to lose his job in the in the corridor out, outside the the press conference I think it was I remember walking back across the um arrivals hall in Gatwick in the small hours of that morning and uh, Roberto was there with a member of the club staff sort of trudging with that haunted look on his face across across the uh, empty arrivals hall towards the coach that was taking him back to Cobham where he was formally sacked um, I don't think anything of that's going to be happening to Thomas Tuchel let's put it like that in, in the weeks ahead I, I, Zenit Russian football's on a domestic football seems to be on a decline Zenit weren't particularly, haven't been imp- particularly impressive in, in in recent times, and and Malmo, although Chelsea played them in the Europa League last thirty two, they beat them home and away. Um, albeit there were some uncomfortable moments across the two legs, but, but generally speaking, they they had too way too much for them. So they'll progress, I would have thought, without too many issues, and and the fact that you're playing Juve, albeit Juve without Cristiano Ronaldo, will. We'll add a bit of pizzazz to the uh, to the group stage, which can, let's be honest, be a bit mundane in in the in the modern setup. Actually, the the fixtures have worked out pretty well too. I think Simon Zenit at home to start. You get Malmo in the double header, and then Zenit to finish. That's probably how Chelsea would have planned it if they were given the choice. Yeah, it's not not bad at all. Um, the, you could question whether going to St. Petersburg in December is going to be. <laughs> it was going to be a bit colder than it was in the World Cup in 2018 when I was there. But yeah, there's a real opportunity to try and get qualification virtually wrapped up, particularly with that that double head. I think the double header with Malmo is the is the real bonus because if they repeat what they did in the Europa League, as, as Don mentioned, and Chelsea are a better team than. And that side was, and, and and then that's exactly what you want because you want sort of dead rubbers at the end of the group stage. One, it gives you a chance to rest key personnel. It also gives an opportunity for those fringe players that are perhaps upset about game time, and to give them a few minutes. Yeah, I'd I'd be surprised if Chelsea repeat 2012-13 and and fail to defend their trophy within the group stage. That that was one of the most when when Juventus came out of the pot and then Shakhtar Shakhtar's ball came out uh, in the draw. I was just like, oh, th- th- this could be a uh, history visited. But um, now they were drawn another group, and um, yeah, I think Chelsea should be pretty pretty happy with what they got. Zenit aren't Shakhtar. Zenit got one yeah. point in the group last season. Well, Shakhtar so, aren't Shakhtar either. You know, you sort of think you think you <laughs> yeah, think exactly. back to that Shakhtar. <laughs> yeah. Not even playing about connect. that Shakhtar team. Um, you know, Fernandino, yeah, William, decent. I just named a couple. I mean, they were really entertaining. I mean, the two games between those sides were fantastic. I mean, Chelsea's bad as as um, bad as that knockout was. They they actually played quite well in in times in that group stage. And of course, they should have beaten Juventus at home. You can forget Oscar's debut, yeah. um, those two brilliant goals, and they should have won that game. They, they sort of collapsed in the second half. I, I just think without Ronaldo as well, that is kind of um, yeah. Chelsea may have 
regret him coming to England for their Premier League chances, but it's kind of helped them uh, improve their chances of getting the better of Juventus as well. Just looking at the odds, Dom, Chelsea fourth favourites to win the Champions League behind PSG, Man City and Bayern Munich. Does that, does that sound about right? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, look, I just wonder whether come the spring, the Premier League becomes a more of a priority, possibly, just, just because of what happened last season, what Chelsea managed to do last season. It's... They, they they've got quality and depth. They've got they've got strength and depth. They can compete on two fronts. Don't get me wrong, but um, um, I just look at. I mean, look, PSG have to win the Champions League this season. They simply have to, given everything that's happened this summer. Um, and Manchester City will be on a bit of a mission on that front as well, uh, given what Chelsea did to them in Porto. So you can never really rule roll out Bayern Munich either, just because of the quality that they have as well. So. It's all a bit random at this stage. It all depends on what the, the knockout brings, but um, I think that's that's fine for Chelsea. Just just nestle in there and let the others draw all the attention, and then uh, steamroll in the in the knockout phase. Well, as we mentioned, the first game in Group H for the Blues is against Zenit. Takes place at Stamford Bridge on the fourteenth of September. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-23s suffered their first defeat of the season. They went down 2-1 to West Ham on Sunday. West Ham got their winner nine minutes into 16 minutes of stoppage time after an injury for one of their players. Brian Fiabeamer had got the Chelsea goal. Uh, the under-18s continued their fine start to the PL South campaign. They beat Norwich 3-1 on Saturday. Ronnie Stutter got two of those. Great name. Uh, definitely one to watch this season too. Uh, it seems that Dujon Sterling set to join Championship side Blackpool on loan for this season. He's previously had loans at Coventry and Wigan. And there were goals for Tammy Abraham and Olivier Giroud in Serie A on Sunday night. 
Let's not forget Tiamue Bakayoko's big uh, move to Milan potentially going through after <laughs> signing a new contract at Chelsea, allegedly. Wow, let's kick that one down the pole. What's it? What's Liam's favourite <laughs> phrase, isn't it, at the moment? Let's give someone a new contract and sell them next summer. Yeah, next summer. hopefully. Uh, Ross Barkley, any <laughs> any any interest at all in Ross Barkley from anybody or Danny Drinkwater? They're just going to be kicking their heels at Cobham, aren't they, for, for the entirety of this season? Barkley is remarkable, isn't it? Barkley is remarkable. You'd think that, well, interesting to see what happens before Tuesday, but my word, that career. Yeah, I think Drinkwater's being, uh, I think Reading uh, is, is going to join the, um, it's Baba Rackman, isn't it, that's gone to Reading. So I think it's going to be a Chelsea Giro double act potentially. But but yeah, Ross Barkley, how the, how the once potentially mighty have fallen. It's quite it's quite a sad story actually. Sort of looking at a player that that had it all and and has not made the most of it, and and it's a pretty damning indictment that that no one is really coming in for him. I'll I'll be surprised if he doesn't end up somewhere in some desperate eleventh hour move with Chelsea probably paying the vast majority of his wages just to get him out of the building. Yeah, we'll see on Tuesday, I suppose. Uh, right, to finish, a question that came in from Twitter from New Style. It got me thinking. Uh, top Chelsea performances with 10 men. Barcelona, Champions League semi, an obvious one, but some great ones over the years. I recall a victory over West Ham after Manish got sent off. Uh, that was one that you you flagged, Simon. It wasn't one that I could recall, but you were there on the day. Yeah, I was. And um, the people forget that because Chelsea dominated that title race from from pretty much the start, but they were starting to have a bit of a wobble. And, yeah, Manish, one of the great loan signings of all time, he got sent off, I think, after about nine minutes. And then Manish goes down, Scaloni goes down, and the West Ham players are furious. It's a red card for Manish! Well, Chris Foy went straight for the red card. Scaloni's gone down injured, and referee Chris Foy deems that as a straight red card. And then... James Collins put West Ham in front and there was a genuine sort of feeling in the ground. You could feel that tension of like, oh, you know, this this could be a significant day in the title race. I think United were playing later that day and they were within, they already closed the gap to within seven points. But of course, if Chelsea went on to lose and then United won, it would be down to four. But then it was just, it was just a remarkable display of, of 10 men just battering West Ham. You, you, you had no, no idea that that Chelsea were down to ten men. Of course, Drogba and Crespo were really tearing West Ham asunder um, at the top of the pitch. And um, yeah, how many teams score four goals with ten men? I mean, it's it, it was it was a tremendous form. And but that was Mourinho at his pomp. You know, he went for it. He went on the attack. Who? How many managers would would keep sort of Drogba and Crespo on the pitch when you when you've lost a midfielder? So yeah, that, that that's one performance that, that stuck out in my mind. Drogba tries a low shot. Chris They've done it again! Drogba's involved this time! The new strike partnership works wonders for Chelsea! Yeah, would Jose Mourinho do that in 2021, I wonder? Exactly. Uh, Dom, any advance on, on West Ham or Barcelona? Well, I asked Liam, because he has a horse in the race... Um, and uh, he, a three-year-old Liam, recalled a game between Blackburn and Chelsea in 1998, where the, the, it was two-two, and Graham Lasseau and Sebastian Perez were then sent off, so ten apiece. So I'm not sure whether that counts or not. Well, that- 
reaction by Graham Lasso speaks for itself. The retaliation after the earlier foul by Perez. And if you raise your hand, you know the consequences. Lasso's temperament lets him down. But as it transpired, um, I think it went 3 2 to, to Blackburn, and then Tori Andre Flo scored twice very late on to win 4 3. So that was Liam's. Liam's choice. When you asked me that question in preparation for this, I genuinely couldn't remember any Chelsea players ever getting sent off ever, which is probably, a, well, it's definitely a reflection of, of how I concentrate during football matches, which, and my memory at this stage, <laughs> it must be the alcohol. But the um, the Terry one is the one. I mean, Barcelona is the one. Terry and Sanchez have had a bit of a spat, which has been drawn to the uh, attention of Tuna Chakir. He's going to his pocket here. Oh, he's shown red to John Terry. The Chelsea captain has been sent off for an off-the-ball incident involving Alexis Sanchez. I was lucky enough to be travelling with the press corps on, on the team flight that night. And the most remarkable game of football that you could possibly imagine with, you know, Barcelona looking as though they were coasting it. Ramirez's incredible goal. Uh, the sending off, um, Messi's missed penalty, and then that, and then Torres running clear. I mean, just just the staggering evening's entertainment and a magnificent achievement, given the status that Barcelona enjoyed at the time as well. And we got we, inevitably when you're writing stuff up, the, the press are often the last people to get on. Were the last people to get on the plane, so you'd often get this awkward situation where you'd have to walk down the aisle of the plane at the airport with all the players just sitting there already waiting, 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 sort of tutting and wishing they were in the air on en route back home after the game. Uh, as it transpired, there was a hold-up as I got on the plane and we were we were sort of joining the plane halfway down the aircraft up the steps and um, myself and a colleague were stuck in the queue right by the door to get into the plane and those were the seats with the extra lead green that Frank Lampard and John Terry always used to take. So there was this awkward sort of hi, hi, and looking at each other. And then my colleague, who was slightly bolder than I am, sort of plucked up the the courage to ask JT what provoked the little spat with Alexis Sanchez and didn't get, just got a grunted answer. Another awkward silence. And... uh the follow-up question from from my colleague I stressed up for me was, so what were you thinking? <laughs> Which did not go down well at all at the, that end of the plane. And we just, I've never felt more awkward in a queue to try and get onto an aircraft and never more thankful to get up to the back of the cabin and, and just hide behind my seat. Um, <laughs> but there you go. Travelling with Chelsea back in the day. Wonder what we don't do it anymore. There's definitely an athletic long read uh, on that in there somewhere. Uh, Before we go, Simon, what are you going to be writing about for athletic subscribers this week? I guess a lot of it's going to be transfer-based for the the next 48 hours or so. Yeah, and and then once the window's shut, a sort of a a review of the window, sort of how I assess it. You know whether it's been a good window, bad window, etc. And also doing a, a piece on the academy sort of just asking the question what sort of this summer has seen a lot of academy players go so so is this a sign of things to come again um so just i suppose 
asking the question, what is the point of the academy? Yeah, so I'll be debating that. Uh, Don, well worth flagging up your piece on, on how do you defend against Romelu Lukaku, which you had some help from Nader Manua with. Yeah, Nader was brilliant. Danny Higginbottom, likewise. Um, good to talk to to players who actually know what they're... That they, they've confronted this type of situation through their playing careers. Um, I didn't think Liverpool were too bad against him. Matip got turned badly at one point, um, sparking one of the counter-attacks we mentioned earlier. But it was a very different type of occasion to the to the Arsenal fixture, and Liverpool obviously made a far better fist of of dealing with Lukaku than than Arsenal did. I f- I fully expect him to to torment a lot of centre halves before this season is up. Good stuff, listener. If you're not currently a subscriber, you can go to theathletic.com/slash/chelseapod to sign up now. You'll get a third off the price of subscription too. We'll be back on Thursday. Liam Toomey and Sam Parkin will join me. Amongst other things, we'll round up the transfer window and look ahead to the start of the new WSL season. Chelsea get their defence of the title underway against Arsenal. Uh, Many thanks to Simon, to Dom and to producer Lucy. Shout out to my son as well for providing backing vocals and also to White House Farm Nursery for their continual refusal to open on Bank Holiday Monday. Uh, Do join us on Thursday if you can. From all of us here though, for now, it's goodbye. Brilliant blast. (laughs) Wow. The Athletic.